This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I learned to kind of squish my feelings down, try to, you know, you just try to shove it down. And I remember actively trying to disassociate from my feelings. You know, I couldn't always do it. So that the by the time I was eight years old, I thought it, my mom went out on a date one night and I thought it'd be a great idea to drink some of the booze. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Arlena Allen, host of Sobriety One Day at a Time podcast and of course, SoberLifeSchool.com. Thanks for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about what's going on now. Obviously, you know, coming through your addiction, confronting it, you're doing lots of great work. Uh, Why don't you fill people in on uh, exactly what Sober Life School is, is about? Sure. So Sober Life School is kind of the hub. Um, I feel like, you know, when you're in recovery and you get excited about all these different things, there's just so many tools for recovery. And I thought, well, I'll put Sober Life School up and that'll be the hub for like the podcast. I teach a self-esteem class. I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I have a class called Sobriety Reset. So it's all, that's just kind of the hub. So And my sole focus is on sobriety and recovery. And I feel like those are kind of, they go hand in hand, obviously, like soap and water. But uh, yeah, I I think of them a little differently. It's like we, you know, once we solve the crisis of, you know, addiction or alcoholism or whatever, then it's time to get into the recovery piece. And that's sort of like the underpinnings of the addiction piece that you were talking about. So um, I do this full time. I'm obsessed with all things recovery. So <laughs> soap and water sound familiar. You're hypochondriac. Oh yeah. I love soap and water. I'm oh, a big nice, fan yeah. washing my hands even before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Not to brag or anything. But... Which is hilarious because we did some shitty shit before we got sober, right? <laughs> right? Like... You know, what's gross thinking about it being the germaphobe that I am today oh. is like snorting Coke with like a dollar bill and shoving uh, a dollar bill halfway up, up my nose. nose looking back now i'm just like ill that's <laughs> did you ever do it I, off a toilet tank oh yeah at a public yeah. car yeah Disgusting. absolutely and uh um, plenty of and then you go like this 
get the gummer in there um yes, but now so it's right. like i don't even touch cash how do i pump gas <laughs> with gloves i wear rubber gloves when i pump <laughs> you gas. really it's be it's becoming <laughs> it's getting pretty gnarly yeah and i'll kind of yeah. if i'm with somebody who i'm not trying to look stupid in front of like jason i don't care but if i'm with somebody i'm just like <laughs> oh, i'll just, just have to tough it out and then when i get uh-huh. into the car i just like hand sanitizer get it all over like uh. you put hand sanitizer on right before we started the podcast i did like, i did he wanted to be clean for you i have to feel clean so i'm constantly touching my face so i have to have clean ah. hands in order uh, to do so is it because of the mustache it's because of the mustache yeah that my dad actually shaved his mustache during the pandemic because he goes, I'm t- I touch my face too much when I have it. Oh, wow. So is like, your dad a germaphobe? No, but he just, he, he's old. He's smart. So he, he didn't want to get sick. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's not necessarily a germaphobe. he don't want to die. I get yeah, it. I'm, I'm yeah. just, I hate being sick. I hate not feeling well. So that's why yeah. I think uh, that's where it comes from. Is that, do we need to devote some time to this? Yeah, let's jump into the self-esteem <laughs> work. I am interested, though, in the self-esteem work that you do, the, the, okay. the course that you have, um, knowing a little bit about it. That's kind of been, you know, oh, part dude, of Oh, dude, that is my get down. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, so. I noticed. So I got sober April 23rd of 94. So this next month is a, a milestone for me. Right on. And over the decades, because I'm old, <laughs> over the decades I've been sober, you know, I noticed that there was this co- common reoccurring thing that kept coming up for me. And I based, I developed this class based on the premise that we only allow into our lives what we believe we deserve on a subconscious level. Agreed. So, and it's so interesting because there's, uh, I'm a, I'm 12 step oriented and I love it. Um, I was o- able to overcome some of the hurdles that I hear, you know, the, this day and age, there's so many um, different paths to recovery and there's some common reoccurring themes. I bet you guys hear this too. Uh, stop me if you hear these things like can't get over the God concept or women who can't get past the patriarchal tone of everything or Right. You know, uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of religious trauma or do you know what I'm saying? Like, so yep. there's hurdles that people are like, oh, I can't do this thing because, and in my mind, that's like, those are like limiting beliefs, like literally. Yep. And so self, as that relates to self-esteem, it's like, we have limiting beliefs about our identities. And so what I'm trying to present in this class are some ideas and exercises to help people identify and transform those limiting beliefs, therefore their identity, to be an identity that's inclusive of, oh, I am a person worthy of receiving good things, or I am a person who is sober and identifying what that means. And so it's, and what I love about the class if I do sit on myself, is that <laughs> it's like, it's a live class and we do the work in class together. And, and I, we do that for a couple of reasons because it is an in built-in accountability. And it's not like you have homework to do so that, you know, if you don't do the homework and you show up to class, you know what I'm saying? Like I was never great about homework. <laughs> Mrs. Allen's going to drill me if I don't write five things. I like oh. to help myself. <laughs> Wow, we can take that a few different ways. <laughs> True. She's I'll leave you guys alone. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to drill me. That was well, a interesting well, choice of words. <laughs> we'll dig into that a little uh, another uh, time. Yeah, a little, a little bit later, later on because we are going to go there. 
Okay. As you and I were talking that our drink was I know. like, hi, I'm just open to the, yes, I I'll sorry. go home with you. Um, but why start the podcast then to go along with this? Were you just getting a lot of feedback from people that you were having in your courses and everything else? It's like, hey, let's let's open this up. Yeah. So I started the podcast about five years ago and I've been doing the self-esteem class for about a year. And um you know, there's a little story behind the podcast. So the, uh, the one day to time podcast is actually my second podcast. I did one on, um, I was in Silicon Valley and I was doing tech sales. So I work for companies like HP and Adobe and all that and selling software. So I did one on sales. There was no women in sales doing podcasts at the time. And then, but it was really on my heart to do one on recovery, but I, you know, because of the 12 step traditions, I was really 11. I was really worried about breaking rules and being ostracized for my community. And I was afraid. So, um, but the reason I started, it was just something that I couldn't shake. It just kept coming back to me and coming back to me. And I used to attend, I still attend, but when I was living in California, I went to a 6 a.m. meeting called ODAP, one day, it stands for one day at a time. And a girlfriend of mine was there at 6 a.m., And she died in a car accident, single car accident, three hours later. And it shook me to my core because she was only a few months older than I am. She she and I kind of look alike and, and it shook me to my core. And I thought, I have this dream that's on my heart and it is later than you think. And it's like, I, what, I was like, what am I waiting for? Whose approval am I waiting for? to do something that felt like a calling. It felt like a calling to share in general about my sobriety, right? And I really did want to respect the traditions. And I kind of started it with sort of this thin veil of I'm a, I'm a woman in recovery. I'm, I'm sober. And, and since then I do talk about 12 steps. I don't directly come right out and say which one or whatever. I don't think I'm fooling anybody, but that's kind of how I sidestepped it. But it just felt more important to try to get the message out there. And it just, it felt more important to listen to the calling on my heart rather than be worried about what other people thought. Yeah. We've had some backlash from it, from people over, over time. And, and um, especially the anonymity part, I would think one that kind of hit us. Don't you think Mikey, where people like, Hey, you know, when we had Charlie Sheen on, we had backlash. It's like, He's he's out there in the news, you know, yeah. some, some people we've been like, hey, do you want us to admit your name or last name or what? You know, and these are people that are willing to share their stories. So, yeah, it's kind of like, all right, well, go screw yourself. You know, we're not <laughs> I'm a 12 stepper, you know, yeah. but I don't pull, you know, too much of the stuff. I'll pull rarely something from the big book to read that that like hit me that if it's pertinent to share within the conversation or something. But I think people, they, I don't know. It's it's like, can, can we not be so uptight about it? You know, we welcome everybody guys. And sometimes hearing yeah. these conversations, what's going to get people in the door. Well, here's the thing. It's a tradition. It's not a law. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. know, and listen, we are not saints, but whatever. <laughs> I know people, people get very uh, religious about 12 step programs. And that's kind of, I bristle at that. You know, I don't like number one. I don't like being told what to do. Do you? <laughs> Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I, I like it as a guide. Yeah. Like, and I really am offended by people who are like, 
that way is the only way. And I'm like, okay, number one, that's not even true. Yeah. No. Right. And number two, you're actually turning people off to those programs. I mean, you're turning them off hard. It's like you're actively pushing people away from something that is super magical and amazing. And yeah, I, and, I hate and I, that people do that. Well, and that can go for a lot of things. Like if you force anything on somebody, it's just going to push them away. Like I went to a Catholic school, for example, growing up, a lot of those kids who came out of the school came out Oh, because <laughs> when you force religion on somebody. Yeah. A lot of people rebel from that. But like for me, I'm Catholic. I always have been. I've never lost faith. That's one thing that pissed me off when I was in rehab is they were like, when'd you lose faith, brother? I'm like, first of all, I'm not your brother. Second of all, I never <laughs> lost you. faith. I did coke <laughs> because it was fun. Have you ever done yeah. coke? It's a fucking blast. That's why <laughs> I did it. Delicious. I wasn't running from anything. I have great parents like and it was just so Moral of the story, I get what you're saying. Right. Yeah. I was up, I was up <laughs> 6 a.m. with two topless women. What do you want me to complain yeah. about? I was 22. As right? Bam said, and I can relate to, tell that to the threesome I had last night. All right? It's not all bad. There is some fun times during this. <laughs> I told you I'm an open book. <laughs> we got True into story. But yeah, for me, it's, it's kind of like the people that this is the only way, like this singular path of it. It's you're kind of violating it right away because it's I struggled with the higher power to a certain extent. You know, I did Catholic yeah. school and baptized Catholic and things like that. And I believed in God, but how I didn't see it working through me. So once he's like, hey, it's the God I do business for. And it was like, boom, that's it. So uh, do you okay. still struggle with the higher power? Are you cool? Now? No, you- I'm totally I'm like you have something that makes sense to you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I'm- all. That's all. That's yeah. all. Yeah. And, and everyone's experience through the AA process is going to be different. Don't you think? I mean, you've done sponsoring and everything. You've been in it a lot longer than I have. They say there's a wrench for every nut. Everybody <laughs> does it different. I did it. I did a series with this gal who's it's over 10 years and we did a little series on step work homework. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did it in four parts and we shared, she I got sober West coast. She got sober East coast. And we talked about the difference in homework that we did. Everybody's doing it different, even within that program. Yeah. Right. So there, and that's, that's what kind of cracks me up is when people say there's this one way is the only way. And I was like, we're not even doing it the same way within the thing. So you don't yeah. know what the fuck you're talking about. So it's yeah. all good. <laughs> Granted, we, we concede to the fact we're not unique and that we were powerless to a substance, but yet we're all unique. <laughs> right. It's such a, that's one of those paradoxes, right? Like you give it away to keep it and surrender to win. And <laughs> <laughs> we love sayings in groups, don't we? Uh, yes. We could do a whole podcast just actually breaking down what some of the sayings are. But yeah. we want to talk about you. I love your tagline. If it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. I told you yes. after that. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you know what's super funny? I was on a women's meeting this morning and some bitch used my line and didn't give me credit. And it was so funny because um I've had I've been in other meetings before in my area where women say that line and uh and I'm like, look, I, I've been saying it for like 20 years. So just stop it. Actually, it's, I think it just resonates. It really speaks to sure. the fact that it resonates with other people. It's like, yeah, I was doing anything to change the way I felt because I hated the way I felt. 
Here at Knocking Doors Down, we share the stories of people who overcome adversity. You know that already, but what you may not know is that our partners at the Carlos Vieira Foundation aim to help people who struggle with their own adversities as well. The Carlos Vieira Foundation helps those in need through their Race for Autism, Race to Be Drug-Free, and Race to End the Stigma campaigns. You can also choose the Carlos Vieira Foundation as your charitable organization on Amazon Smile to contribute as well. To learn more and support these causes, check out all the info at carlosvierafoundation.org. Where do you think this all started? If we jump back, uh, you know, we, we grew up with the D.A.R.E. program and we were the <laughs> This is your to, brain on drugs. Yeah, <laughs> cracking <laughs> the, the fucking egg. But we really, I think we've gotten knowledgeable enough that trauma is really the gateway to substance use and abuse. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my parents are super nice people. They didn't demonstrate any of that using behavior. Um but a couple of things happened when I was really young. So um, I was sexually abused by a next door neighbor child, um, someone that was, I was about five years old and she was about, I guess she was about nine. And um, so that, and I was like this little people pleaser, you know, I was fucking five years old, you know, I didn't know anything. And and I know now looking back that I'm not responsible um, for what happened and, but I don't know. So anyway, did a whole number to my head. I also grew up in the Christian church and was raised with some ideas about, you know, the ideals of the, of the religious church, right? There's some ideals, you know, and ideals are like the horizon, right? It's a mental construct. It's not actually a place that you can get to. You can walk towards the horizon and never get there. Right. And so these ideals are just like aspirations that we try to aim for, but I didn't get that little piece of, oh, but you'll never get there. It's, it's about, you know, just making the effort to, you know, like we talk about progress, not perfection and, and things like that. And so I didn't have that context, but what I walked away from those experiences was this feeling of there was something really wrong with me and I was dirty and I was bad and just all that guilt and shame about that because it was going ongoing for years. And then uh, my parents divorced when I was seven and I didn't recognize this in the moment years later in recovery and therapy and all that stuff. I looked back and, and was aware that children tend to take the blame for things like that. And I thought, because, and I think because of my experiences of being sexually abused, um, I was already predisposed to thinking that I was a bad person yeah. and, you know, and I, I, for my whole life. So those two things combined really shaped my identity of who I thought I was, what I thought I deserved. And um, it really set the stage for, and I had, my parents really didn't have any, teach me any coping skills. Not really. Uh, my, when my parents divorced, my dad, you know, he's, it's, what's interesting is he's religious. He was a former military guy. He was a Marine. Um, but he was the nurturing one. My mom, she was from Mexico city, Catholic, all that. She was the hard ass. Right. And, uh, so I was left with her and her way of dealing with my, I had really big feelings. Her way of dealing with my feelings was to get angry and kind of get bigger. And it kind of, I learned to kind of squish my feelings down, try to, you know, you just try to shove it down. And I remember actively trying to disassociate from my feelings, you know, I couldn't always do it. 
so that the by the time I was eight years old, I thought it, my mom went out on a date one night and I thought it'd be a great idea to drink some of the booze that was in the, yeah, I was really young. I thought it'd be a great idea. My sister and I were home alone. My mom went out on a date. She probably just went out to dinner, whatever, you know, it's normal. It's fine. Um, but I thought it'd be a great idea. And I remember taking that first drink, my older sister, she was the compliant good girl, right? She's like the, I was not anyway. Um, I remember that first drink that it burned my mouth. It burned my lips, like it burnt all the way down. But when it hit bottom, that warmth spread through my whole body and the juxtaposition between like all of a sudden, like all that self-hatred and self-loathing, the self it all was lifted. And I was left with these really good feelings. I was comfortable for the first time. Like I felt good. And the juxtaposition between those feelings was so dramatic. It like burned in my psyche forever. And I was like, what it was? I, you know, I don't, I remember it was a clear glass bottle and it was brown liquid and I probably mixed it with some juice. Mm. But I went straight for the hard alcohol. I don't mm-hmm. think there was anything else in the house, to be honest. I, it had dust on it. It was probably just like leftover from a party or something. I never saw my parents drink either one of them. Hmm. Except for one time we were at the, my dad worked for this uh, government. They used to call them outfits. Old guys called companies outfits. Right. <laughs> and my dad worked for an outfit called FMC. They built the Bradley tanks. And oh, we were, nice. yeah, it was actually pretty cool. But yeah, there was a a company picnic and my dad knocked back a few beers. And I remember in the parking lot, walking to the car, I think my mom, my stepmom was driving and some guy's like, Hey, Frank, take it easy. And he's like, I'll take it anyway and get it. What What the, what was that? My dad was like uber religious. So that was like the only time. Super common for kids to first start drinking is they have their parents liquor lying around somewhere. Like, I wonder how many stories would be different if their parents locked it up and couldn't find it. You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder, like, I'm sure you would have taken a drink sometime in your life eventually, but I just wonder how long that would have been postponed had your mom keep the liquor elsewhere or locked. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting when we find that first, like you said, all of a sudden I can, I feel different. And I think that's what people don't, when I've talked to people that want to understand addiction and stuff is like, like whatever reason, our chemistry, genetics, who knows what it is. All of a sudden we have this ability to escape that feeling. Cause I relate to you in that, uh, you know, felt like everything had to be shoved down, seen, not heard. Yeah, that was, that was right. And that's, you know, I, you know, now we know that that's all anybody wants is to be seen and heard and understood. Mm -hmm. Right. And validated. And I've, you know, in the work that I do, you know, especially like with women who are like in bad relationships, I've learned never to speak badly of the person they're in relationship with. Um, I understand now that that's just a reflection of the level of their Mm self-esteem. And so I'm always focused on, well, you know, what can we do to help you build your self-esteem so that you feel like you deserve to be treated better? Yeah. Well, and I think that's why, um, I don't recollect if you spoke with her or not, but you should, uh, Brianne Davis. Oh yeah. She was on my podcast. Love her. 
yeah, the sex and love addiction category. Mikey and I Oof. took the test. We fall into it, and it's really oh, yeah. We failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty. Iowa. I'm like, oh, chalk it up to something but, else. I'm into. God damn it! Yeah, I, I was like, son of a bitch. I was like 37 out of 40. You were at 33 out of 33, something out like of that. Goes, if you get 18, you failed. It's like, okay, well, no stranger to fail the test, or you win the test because now you know the solutions. One yeah. sex addicts. We won. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> well, it, it, but it's identifying that people that just may not get that. Like you're talking about toxic relationships, who we choose to engage with, hmm. be it an intimate relationship or whatever is totally a reflection of self. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, what, when I was talking to Brianna, I actually, she invited me to some meetings. And so I, I, I went and checked a few out and the language was so like, it was one of those things that hit home for me because love addiction will take you out just as fast as, as all the rest of it, because it all ends up in that same dark place, which is I am fundamentally broken and unlovable and alone and mm-hmm. unworthy. Right. And that's a very dark place to end up in. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you do the self-esteem work because, you know, yeah. men need to, to engage into this a lot more. I know that women are getting far more hip to it than men, but we need to, because I know that I took my self-esteem and set it right over here in somebody else's hand to do this. Yeah. Or this. And, you know, it, it's no different than the drink. I'm having this terrible feeling and I want to escape. Please give me something to escape. And that's why I could relate to you about what the, if it was in a bottle, a bag or blue guy was doing it. It's like, okay, well, this person's no longer feeding that. I'm looking for you to give me self-esteem. Okay. Five beers in. Hey, what's your name? Yeah. That's always the next. We're always looking for the next high. Right. And I can right. get high off people just as easily as drugs or alcohol or shopping. Let's be honest. There is a multitude of things. And I was talking to this, uh, this lady, she's like a counselor or a therapist. And she was talking about how we all have these little exits. Mm. We're exiting the present moment. Something in the present moment is just not tolerable. Like something is not okay with me. And so I choose to distract with Instagram or shopping or eating or, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we can make these little exits and it's not like anybody is going to be able to be like a hundred percent present a hundred percent of the time. Like that's not the goal, but it's just to like, notice what's taking me out of my present moment. Like, why do I feel like what's going on? And so I feel like um, the self-esteem work I do is mostly about reconnecting to ourselves because I spend a lot of time and energy disconnecting from myself, sort of like that. Um, have you ever seen those old timey pictures of the switchboard operator? That's like that chick with always the the, <laughs> the, the uptight hairdo and sitting in, in front of with the plugs. And there's like yeah. a, a switchboard full of holes. And she's got these plugs. That's how I felt early in my sobriety. I was like, I have this plug and I don't know where to put it. It's like I'm having a feeling and I don't know what it is. Cause I spent so much time numbing out that I don't even know what's happening within me. Mm-hmm. So recovery was about recovering my whole self, all of the feelings, the good feelings and the bad feelings, supposedly bad feelings. So the painful feelings are really just like guideposts and the feelings are there to help me guide. Through. But I was so numbed out to my own self. How could I, how could I tell you, how could I be a good partner? How could I tell you what I want or need as a friend? If I'm, if I don't even know, and I think a lot of women, I'm sure you guys will probably 
validate this, but a lot of women are like, you should know how I feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't even know how you feel. How is he supposed to know how you feel? This is why I'm single. Because, yes, I know those women. It's like, adorable. I, there's no need for you to be single. <laughs> I was, it's real quick story. I was actually talking to this girl and she was like, well, I'm very strong believer in the man does the man stuff and the woman does the woman stuff. And I'm like, what's okay. that? Yeah. And I was just like, so when I get off work, there's going to be dinner on the table and the house is going to be clean then. Right. And she was like, well, you can cook, too. And I was like, oh, so it's not just men do men stuff. It's men do woman stuff, too. And you just kind of hang out and do your own thing. Yeah. No, fuck that. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be like we need to qualify that. Like, what specifically do you mean? Right. It's like, and you know, in relationship, especially like if you're in a relationship, like, like live in type of stuff, it's like the distribution of work is important to decide. And if you want, you know, some people are others, pink jobs and blue jobs, like Mm -hmm. the garbage is typically a blue job and the, you know, I don't know what else is a, was a pink job, but you know, I, that never has made sense to me. Like we all, in in my house, everybody does everything. Exactly. You're a team. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like if you get off work late, I have no problem cooking. I have no problem cleaning. But yeah. if the trash cans need to go out on Thursday and I'm out of town till Saturday and the lawn hasn't been mowed yet, do you mind? You know, I'm not in town. Uh, yeah. I can't do it. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it's just gonna it's just being a team. It's, it's helping being each a other team. Out. You know what's so funny? Right, exactly. You know what's so funny is in my neighborhood, like my husband was gone for a couple of weeks. And so I mowed the lawn and yeah. I thought my neighbors were going to break their necks looking at me mowing the lawn. I was <laughs> like, what is the problem here? Why is that so weird? Just because yeah. I'm in a bikini? Is that what's no? I'm just is it because I'm naked? Is that why I'm trying? Is that to why? Why are you staring? It's so weird. <laughs> is it the tassels that spin when is I walk? What is going on? Ah! Everyone mows yeah, in, those in a really long time. Took it to a completely different <laughs> level there, didn't we? <laughs> hey, we're having. But fun. yeah, I get I get what you're saying though. It's like there there shouldn't be. Okay, well I'm going to do this. You do that. It's like, no, I'll, you pick up the slack if I got stuff going on. And if you got stuff going on, I'll pick up the slack. Exactly. I was just so dumbfounded when she said that. I'm like, first of all, we're not in the fucking 50s and I'm not coming home and putting my hat. Honey, I'm home. Like Pleasantville type shit. All right. It's just so like, get are you going to vacuum in a skirt and pearls? Like, let what me are we talking introduce about here? you to 2022. Okay. Like, let me introduce so you to that funny. because things change. Uh, so, so where do we really start then? I mean, eight years old, but when do we really start like things taking off? Like the depths of it was it high school period you know because i mean we're not quite adults but we're not kids anymore yeah it uh, yeah like obviously i didn't start drinking daily at eight but uh, i things started being problematic when i was about 14 years old um and i think that's just a hard age anyway because that's when all your hormones are kicking in and i mean so I, i had um Gosh, I was just such a, I was having a hard time in a multitude of areas. I hated who I was. I wanted to be anybody but me. And so I, I didn't even know who I was, you know, that at that age, you're just trying on different things to see if that's who you are. But I had always had like an, abs- a, like when I was growing up, they called it boy crazy. I was always boy crazy. I always thought, I think I fell into sort of that, um, idea like the prince charming like i thought love two things i thought were going to save me love or money because i we grew up kind of poor mm. um and i didn't i didn't want 
well, that's not true. I did want for things, but um, I was, I was just selfish, <laughs> greedy. <laughs> but um, I was confused. I, I was looking to the outside things. I figured that they would make me okay. I thought if I could find love someone to love me like romantic love, then I would be okay. If I had enough money, then I could buy all the clothes so that I could be socially acceptable. Right. And so those are, I was chasing things outside myself and I thought I had to change who I was to get those things. So that's, and I just was, I felt like I failed miserably. And so really drugs and alcohol kind of saved my life. They were the things that I was able to use to medicate my feelings um, I always, I thought at some point I was like, you know, I think drugs and alcohol saved my life because if I had to feel all those feelings, I don't know that I could have survived. I barely survived anyway. Right. <clears throat> like those young years when you just hate who you are and I was skinny and awkward and not cute and self you just, anyway, all the bad things. And so that's when I started, I was, I was smoking weed in junior high. I was, um, I moved from my mom's house to my dad's house when I was 14. And so uh, for a period of time, my dad would drop me off at my girlfriend's house and she and I would walk to school together and her parents drank. And so they had, they didn't lock up their shit either. Um, And so I was, you know, watering the bottles of vodka down and doing all that stuff. I was drinking before school in junior high. Wow. didn't have a lot of consequences. I think I was sent to the principal's office one time and that was about it. But it wasn't until I, and then I was smoking weed all through high school. And, but it wasn't until my early twenties, like I started doing the bar hopping thing that I was starting to get some significant consequences where I would wake up and be like, Oh, that's not my ceiling. Right. <laughs> you look down you're like, that's not my comforter. Mm-hmm. You know, familiar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And so I just, you know, put myself in dangerous places. I was drunk driving um, one morning I woke up and there was weeds coming out. I had this little Ford Ranger that was cute, but it had between the hood and the quarter panel, there was a bunch of weeds <laughs> coming out of no recollection of how that happened. Um, just all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I was getting into, you know, relationships with married men and you know, crying about how I, all these men were mo- emotionally unavailable. Meanwhile, I didn't recognize that I was picking these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like was not connecting the bots. Um, yeah. So yeah, it just went from bad to worse. And then when I was 25, I actually, when I was 23, I had a really bad night out. I was with my sister and the married policeman I had been dating and we had just broken up, uh, my sister was driving me home because I was drunk out of my mind. So she was driving my little Ford Ranger and we see the guy I had been dating. He had been, was doing a field sobriety test. He pulled someone over and apparently I lost my damn mind and punched the windshield and broke it in a couple places and was trying to crash the car while my sister was driving. And I kicked her in the face and gave her a bloody nose. And she managed to pull the car over into the neighborhood that we grew up in and ran to a neighbor's house that, that uh, knew us that she knew and got some help because I was in the middle of the street, losing my damn mind for whatever reason. And, um, and by the way, this is all secondhand information. I have like little bits and pieces of, I recall part of it, but um, you know, the next morning I woke up with that sickening sinking feeling that something terribly wrong had gone the night before it got, and you know, and I had my, my hand was all swollen and, Um, I had actually gone to the bar to meet the policeman's best friend who I was then dating, who was there the next morning. 
I mean, it's just a mess. Right. But my sister was like, so hurt and disgusted with me. She started going to Al-Anon and I was very confused by that. But uh, that was like the, the beginning of the end for me. That wasn't like the end, but it began the question. It's like, why is she going to Al-Anon? Am I an alcoholic? What makes me different than someone else? I'm dr- I hang out with all these other people who are doing the exact same things I'm doing. Are they alcoholic? It's just like one question led to another. And I spent the next two years in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble trying to figure out how to fix my life, whether it was like the seven spiritual laws of money or the men are from Mars book, or do you know what I'm saying? It's like Tony Robbins classes. <laughs> I did everything to try to, you know what I was doing? I was trying to think my way into right living. And it wasn't until I got sober and into the rooms, the 12 step rooms, as they talk about living your way into right thinking, that's using action, right? Actions leveraging the law of cause and effect. So I was very confused, but it took me two years of wrestling with the idea before I ever showed up at a meeting Well, and, and I started getting better. I think that's important for people to understand is that it's a process and life is always a process. You know, I mean, you referenced it earlier, you know, um, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection, you know, that, that, yeah. that you don't necessarily reach the horizon and right. it's just part of it, but we can, now in sobriety and be it if you are a meeting person like you and I are or other people we've talked to had on here that aren't, that's okay too, but okay. that all of a sudden you become clear in managing your emotions, thus managing your life. Right. Self-regulating was really, I did not know how to self-regulate. What are some of the things you did to start <laughs> to uh, develop self-regulation and boundaries too. Oh, that's the fucker. That's the kicker right there. Right. Well, so I was so desperate to be sober. I, uh, so the the way I got sober is, um, I was in a sales job and two of my customers were actually in the program, Randy and Mitch, and they were fine, upstanding men of the program. They were breaking off bits of knowledge and they were doing it in that way that that we do where it's like, we're meeting eye to eye. He would, they weren't talking down to me. Cause I can't right. hear anything from people who talk are talking down like that condescending. Like I can't hear it. Mm-hmm. Like the, like the religious tones and the, I just couldn't hear it, but they were like, Oh, this is what happened to me. And this is what I did. And they would share some stuff. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I just was identifying like, we are, we are alike. And they're like, and they were like, this is how I got out of it. I went to meetings. I got a sponsor. I started working steps. And so they took me and they started breaking down concepts. And I think the one that really blew my mind was if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. It's about cause and effect. It was scientific. It was like impersonal. It was like not a moral thing. It's just cause and effect. And if you can't control the cause, which I couldn't, I couldn't not drink and smoke weed. That was my thing. Um, I couldn't not do that. So that was the problem I went to solve. And I was so desperate to be sober. They said I had to work with the women and I was terrified of the women because I had spent so much time and energy decorating the outside. I felt like I had nothing going on on the inside. I'm like, I I didn't even know how to relate to women. The only women I had in my life was my running partner because it looks bad to show up at the bar by yourself. <laughs> and and that was it. Like my mom disowned me on a regular basis because yeah, you don't like, want to be that person. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, it just doesn't look good. It's a bad look. And I was all about looking good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the side that we like to put on, right? Yeah. I was all about image management. 
So, uh, but anyway, so I mentioned Randy, they quickly, like, they're like the women work with the women. And now I understand why, because when, so I, I, you know, I, so I heard, kept hearing that people were doing steps one, two, and three and relapsing. Like a lot of people were doing that one, two, three shuffle thing. And I was terrified of getting loaded again. Also, I heard that it's only like one in a hundred people make it whatever, what the, whatever that was. And I was super competitive. So I was like, I'm going to be that one person. <laughs> so the gauntlet was set, but they said they had to get a female sponsor and I was terrified, but I remembered this, but this woman remembered my name the second time she met me. Nobody ever remembers my name the second time. Arlena is not super easy to remember, but she remembered my name. And I was like, it was like the clouds had parted and the sun was shy. I was like, Oh, the angels are singing like, this is the one. So I asked her, you know how I asked her to be my sponsor? I asked her if she would listen to my inventory because I knew I had to do this in this four step thing. And <laughs> she was like, I would be honored, but we're going to start with step one. Right. <laughs> so that's what we did. That's how, that's how I ran it. I gave it, I was, I don't really do anything in half measures except for recovery, but I still had enough desperation in me that I did everything she told me to do. I did yeah. all the work. Yeah. And it's, it's imperative if you get a good sponsor, but what did you discover of why the separation of men and women? I've had people ask me about that and I explained from my standpoint, but I've never asked a woman. Well, because for two reasons, I feel like there's, you know, you guys are good upstanding men, but I know, you know, some men who are not. And so it's a very vulnerable time. You're when you're newly inside, you're very vulnerable in the sense that you're so desperate to be heard, understood, seen, accepted that when, and it's a very intimate experience to go through the steps and like lay out all your stuff to somebody. And they're like, Hey, try this, try that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, it's just a suggestion, but you know, they help you talk things through, um, praying together. I remember her and I would pray together. We'd hold hands and pray. It was like just a, such an intimate experience. And I think it would be confusing to do that with a man, because for me, it would, I would confuse that with romantic love. Absolutely. I did love this woman who helped me. I was so grateful to her on such a profound level, because for the first time in my life, I could see it in her eyes that she got my kind of crazy and she wasn't judging me, yeah. right? She loved me despite of all the shitty things I just told her, right? And she helped me to have compassion for myself. Like she led me out of my suffering and I will love her till the day I die because of that. If it were a man doing that, I'd probably want to fuck him. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying I'd be very I, confused. Remember yeah. when I told you I went to that meeting out of town and I was I was at this meeting um, uh, with a friend in my online AA group and doing like a men's retreat. And so we go, it's a mixed meeting, new guy there, new girl there. And I tap him and I go, hey, watch that guy. He's going to go talk to that girl before the end of the night. The end of the meeting, that fucker, he made a beeline right to her and she just looked at me and went, did you know? And I just went, Hey, I know, because guess what? If I was on day one, that's exactly what I would have done. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I a guaranteed, like, I don't know. It's a, it's all bad. You know, and here's the thing, water seeks its own level. So if you're new and you're not mentally well, what do you think you're going to attract? Yeah. You're going to attract your equal opposite. Water yeah. seeks its own level. 
So it's, it's, and they say that don't, you know, I, I broke this rule, but they said uh, not to get into a relationship your first year, because you're growing a lot that first year. And, you know, in that first year, as you're growing and evolving and changing and healing, you want to attract from that level. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I got super lucky. I met my husband, I was five months over and, um, you know, so far so good. <laughs> still like him yeah oh my god he's my favorite person ever but you know what's interesting is he's he's super funny he's 32 33 years sober but you know what's interesting i feel like our relationship worked because we did, followed the process of resolving resentment the 12-step way which was i would go to my sponsor and i would say to her bobby did this and bobby did that and she'd be like okay well i don't sponsor him that's like, you're such a bitch, but no, I was grateful for this. She would say, I don't sponsor him. So let's look at your stuff. And she would talk to me until I got to that place of empathy where my behavior, I could see how my behavior was painful for him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit, that awkward moment. You realize you're the asshole. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. So then I would go to him and be like, I recognize this pattern that I have. I think it's because of this. And what I'm willing to do is make amends. I am sorry I hurt your feelings and did all this stuff to you. What can I do to make it right? Yeah. You know, of course, there's the living amends. It's all encompassing. I hear people say, oh, it's not an apology. Fuck yeah, it's an apology. And it's change your behavior. And it's recognizing what your pattern is so that you're taking full, like extreme ownership of your own feelings, right? And and your side of the street. Meanwhile, he was doing the same damn thing with the men. Right. And I, it sounds like y'all are harder on each other than women are. I think women are a little (laughs) softer, but he was getting his ass kicked at the other side. And they were like, you need to, you know, do the whole thing. Right. So by the time we came together, I was owning my part. Like, oh my God, this is what I did. I'm so sorry. And he was, you know, it takes all the wind out of your sails when the person that you love is willing to be humble and like, oh, I see my part. And so that's kind of how we run it this whole time. We got married in 97 and um, he's still my favorite person. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. And you have uh, two boys? I do. Uh, My older boy, Travis is 21 and my younger boy, Tyler is 18. They've never seen me loaded except for that one time I had surgery on my knee and I was on some drugs. (laughs) I was on that good stuff. We can understand that. Yeah, Uh, there is an exception. There is, there is a time and a place. So being that you both are in recovery, you really open with the boys and maybe about that. Hey, there's genetic lineage. (laughs) Maybe a little too open. Like I was like, look, you could do drugs, but you might suck a dick at some point. (laughs) So just be aware you got the crazy gene from both sides. <laughs> Maybe that's have, not the right thing to say to an eight-year-old, but tell <laughs> <laughs> your eight-year-old mommy, what's a dick? The guy down it's the street. Dick. What are you talking about? No, I have you no. seen them drink or have you picked them up when they've been intoxicated or any? Because 18 and 21, those are prime ages for uh partying. Well, I'll tell you, my little one went to rehab already. Really? Wow. I was in rehab yeah. at 21, so I get it. Yeah, well, the little one, little 18. One. Yeah, yeah, he was, one, and but... he was 17 at the time. So he had to go to like this adolescent program with these other kids that were like on heroin and had, oh, yeah. I mean, those kids, wolves. it was hard, like hard luck stories. Like 
if we come from a good home, he's never seen us loaded. We have a very nice house. They went to private Christian school. We have some money. You know what I mean? It's like we, uh, you know, we, um, you know, obviously we fuck up, but we always apologize and we tell them how much we love them all the time. And, and uh, we talk about our feelings and I, you know, they see people come to the house and I work steps with women and my husband works steps with men and we've held meetings in the house did not immune, make us immune. It did not make him immune from the addiction. Mm -hmm. And one day my husband comes into the, into the kitchen, holding this backpack and he opens it up and takes this bottle out and slams it on the counter, probably a little harder than he had intended. It was a giant handle of fireball. And yeah. inside the backpack was this big bag of beautiful green weed. And I was like, oh my God, I hadn't physically held a bag of weed for decades. Right. And I was, my inner drug addict was like, oh my God, maybe we should smoke some. <laughs> Who, the fuck was Who said that? But um, yeah, that was, and it was terrifying because we didn't know when it was going to end. Sure. And he went through rehab and he came home and he was doing meetings. And so that was last June and he's been fine since then. Um, you know, I want to comment on that like, real quick. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say before we jumped into something else and Jason had mentioned this too, like how addiction comes from trauma. And I don't agree with that. I, I'm not saying they don't, but I'm sure a lot of it does. But like mine, when I went do coke and went into rehab for it, I had a family like yours. I went to, you know, Catholic school. My parents had money. They told me they loved me every night. You know, we had a great relationship and you just did it. It just happened. It was just the people that you were around, people that you look up to on TV or music. Like I was obsessed with Guns N' Roses. Still am. I love them. I wanted to be like Slash and Axel. You know, I skateboarded for 15 years. The Piss Drunks was the name of the group that were my favorite people to look up to skateboarding. So, yeah. and I mean, it even says on every skate video, we are not role models, blah, blah, blah. But it had these dudes with no shirts on, leather jackets, skin tight pants, you know, rock and roll doing what I love to do, which was skateboarding. But it was yeah. just so I, it's almost like you looked up, I'm not saying this is the case for your son. I just mean anybody can get involved with any kind of narcotic or alcohol, mm -hmm. regardless of how their upbringing is. So yeah. it's like, I totally get it from your son's standpoint, because my parents were and are great, but I was doing Coke all the time. I would not go out to a bar without a rock in my pocket. Did you have though some experiences like when you were young? Because I could see that my son had some experiences in like junior high and high school where he didn't feel a part of and he felt excluded. And I don't think he was bullied or anything like that. They wouldn't have allowed that in the kind of schools that I put them in. But like something was going on with him where he did not feel good about who he was. Yeah, I did not. You I felt good I, about who you were? I did. I kind of always, I've never been like a down on myself. You know, I'll get like depressed and anxiety and whatnot, but that's within just, normal. Yeah. Exactly. That sounds like within range. Um, The group of friends that I had in middle school, I still have to this day. And we're always, you know, we're all talking. We're always in a group chat and whatnot. I've never felt like I wasn't good enough. I've never felt, you know, I mean, there are times where I was insecure about my body and stuff, but that's not what led me to use or whatever, because I was a little kid and I didn't start doing all that until a little bit later on. I think we, though, 
can have because I was like you, like Nikki Six was one of my heroes when I was a kid. So like we see ideals of things, and if we right. don't have good mentorship in the home for for me, for uh, him, for I me, had good mentorship. I could see where. Uh-huh. In addition to both sides of my family addiction, I've had multiple family members. Yeah, you've had a lot of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. As we talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So a lot of trauma there. But like for you being though, still that tight knit uh, unit that you have, but you have had people that have struggled within that unit later on, later on, Mm -hmm. you've had family members, but. You know, sometimes it's kind of like our bedfellows, maybe. So I think, you know, yeah, that's it's not and to, accepting us in. And, you know, I could see if I ran with the drug crowd in high school, I just didn't because of the friends I had, I kept throughout high school. But if I did go with the drug, my friends that were doing drugs and drinking and actually hang out outside of school. Oh, yeah, I would have been it would have started in high school instead of college. Yeah, you don't obviously you don't necessarily have to have trauma. There's not always trauma. Like I have I have right. some clients that I they're not always, but sometimes that's Oh yeah, thing. no, sometimes There's- for sure. But like when it when it gets said, and not by Jason, just by everybody, you know, like oh it's trauma based. I'm like, no, not necessarily. Doesn't not all need always. to be trauma based. Yeah. yeah. Not that's always. not true. So we, that's, that's why I wanted to relate to what you were saying about your son. Same. You know what I mean? As far as yeah. just not it just happened. I think, he, I think my son maybe did have a little bit, but you're right, right. though. Not it, it's not always it's mm-hmm. not always a lot of it can be, um, you know, your environment, you know, you're just fucking curious. I just want to see what it's like. <laughs> yeah. You just want to try it right out. Yeah. Even my older son, who is pretty he's like the older, very stereotypical, like older child. He's compliant. He's easygoing. He's um you know, he wanted to, he wants to make us happy. You know, he's, he's, you know, he experimented with weed once in high school. We used to do this carpool thing. And and this boy that used to um, ride with us was smoking weed all the time. And I knew it, I was never going to say anything to anybody, but you know, I, I wanted to be that safe place in case he ever needed some help. He, he know, he would know that I would never rat him out. But um, so he got my son high once in high school and I didn't find this out till much later, but it just wasn't his thing. And, you know, he's 21. So his dad and his, you know, my brother and his, you know, they went out and he had his first drink. And I mean, it really wasn't a big deal. Like I don't have a problem with people drinking or smoking weed, quite frankly. Uh, What I have a problem with is that if it's causing you to suffer, then that's when I, that's, that's what really kind of. It's like that old saying, it's like, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to quit, that's mine. Yeah. Like that is, that's the shit I'll help you with. Like, if you want to quit, if you want to drink, God bless you, go run it until you can't yeah. right. Work your shit out. If you need some help, I'm here. Yep. And you said something really pertinent there that I didn't think of it in this way till you said it about suffering was it was like I replaced all that suffering that I was still feeling inside and just suffering within the, the addiction. Right. I'm saying it's like just replacing yeah. one thing with another. Just yeah. Replacing. So I've learned that everything comes with a price tag, right? And it's up to us to decide, do you want to pay the price up front or on the back end? So drinking and using drugs, that's you pay the price on the back end. Something like exercise or recovery work, that's paying the price up front so that you can feel good afterward. And it's so interesting. I talked to this um, 
this lady who wrote, she's a doctor at Stanford. She's like the chief of their psychiatric department. She wrote a book called Dopamine Nation, Anna Lenke. Yeah, she was on the social dilemma. She has this concept of the seesaw that homeostasis is this balance. And if we do something negative, like you see, you hear runners, they go, I don't know why anyone would run. I don't run unless someone's chasing me. But <laughs> if you, like the runners have the runners high, so they pay the pain up front, but then they get the high on the back end. It's like the teeter totter uh, goes just <clears throat> as high on the opposite end. And so, and that's what happens when we are using drugs and alcohol is that we skew our dopamine reward system. Dopamine is not actually something that gets you high. Dopamine is actually a neurotransmitter that acts like a save button. You do something that makes you feel good. And the dopamine is released to say, remember where you got this feeling so you can find it again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so when we're talking about like cocaine or sex or whatever, you get high, right? But then there's the come down and we're all familiar with the come down, right? Like I did cocaine and meth and all this many times and that come down is brutal. So that's paying the price tag at the end. I've just learned to switch it for the most part, right? Like I, I still like some things I shouldn't like anymore, but um, I've just, you know, with, with time, you, you sort of learn this, you sort of mature. And so that's the benefit of having time is you have enough experiences that you get tired of paying the price tag on the back end. I just prefer for the most part to pay it up front. And mm-hmm. so you, you suffer the pains of growth or you suffer the pains of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. I think it comes along with finally having um, a purpose and intentional living. You know, purpose, yeah, yeah, it's a primary purpose is to carry the message and to help others. Yep, and and playing it out that's one of the things I always do. You know, like my girlfriend and I went and saw one of my favorite bands of all time last weekend, and you know, people there drinking and everything else. Uh, Seven Dust, okay, yeah, yeah, and I used to party with them, you know, and so it was pretty cool to uh, afterwards, yeah, say hi. And nobody was was high. Nobody was drinking. You know, they've all kind of, you know, turned the corner there and everything else. So it was uh, it was pretty neat to 20 years later now, having wow. known them that long and be like, wow, we all kind of grew the fuck up. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, man, good to see you. I'm going to go give my wife a call and check on the kids like right on. Good seeing you. I love you. Wow. I'll catch up another time. So that's pretty cool. It's interesting how, you know, we, we recognize that we can flip flop, you know, and go like, yeah. Hey, I want longevity. I'm not living for this thing right here to feel this in this moment or not feel this in this moment. Yeah. I think that's a cool, that's one of the many cool things about recovery is you get to keep who you really are. You get to keep all the best parts about you and you get to evolve, right? It's like, we're either, we're all, everything is always evolving. So we get to choose and be, like you said, intentional about how we evolve and who we surround ourselves with. You know, there is a, you know, some, I remember this guy dated before I met my husband. He was like, I think those AE people are brainwashing you. I was like, damn straight. They are, you know, (laughs) like I intentionally was hanging out with people who are sober and thinking a certain way. And we do, we do, uh, we are affected by our environment. So if you, you know, like when you're talking about being around, you know, being around all the skateboarders or the, you know, looking up to those, it's like, you are, take it, you're taking in it's brainwashing. It's like your subconscious mind. Uh, that's where all your thoughts and beliefs and, and identity is held in your subconscious mind. 
And what's interesting about that is your subconscious mind can't differentiate truth from false. It's whatever, pe- whatever message is repeated the most. Mm-hmm. Right. So people show, show up to programs and they're like, I'm not so sure about this higher power thing. Then they keep hearing stories over and over about how it's, it works, it works, it works. And pretty soon they're like, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. And yeah. then they have some experiences and then, and then they're, they're good to go. Yeah. Um, for anyone that's sitting and listening. And when you have that first kind of spiritual awakening moment, you're going to go, <laughs> Oh fuck. And you're going to hit the floor. Maybe you're, <laughs> I know I cried. And so I was like, Aww. Hey, I don't, I don't have a problem admitting it. Well, we could continue on. We might have to do a part two here down the road at some point, but uh, Mikey, random questions. Let's do it. You're up, brother. Top three favorite bands of all time. Oh, damn it. All time. <laughs> all time. Oh, dear God. My husband would be, would crush this. Can I use his bands like Rush and <laughs> like yeah. all time favorite Got a little near, near perd up in you. Oh my God. I mean, he's got posters all in his office, frame posters of all the rush guys. Um, I know more about them than I care to <laughs> I'm favorite bands. I mean, when I was younger, it was like, obviously um, guns and roses. And I yeah. loved journey. And I mean, I'm old. So it was like <laughs> rat and nice. Oh my God. So many. Right I on. I can't. You're, it's like a, you're asking me to pick a favorite child. I don't know. Well, we all have the favorite kid. Right. It's okay. You don't need to say it on there. But there's you know, a favorite. I, was a I have huge two nephews and a fan. niece. There's a favorite. There's a favorite. Yeah. I was. I grew up country. So. Oh, right on. Uh, yeah. Well, you grew up. We grew up kind of close to each other, right? You were Bay Area and I was Monterey Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. Super close. So I was going all the day on the greens back in the oh, using yeah. days. But, you know, when I got a little bit older i was all up in the country scene oh yeah who do you pull from country then i would be like trisha yearwood and garth brooks and george Strait, reba mcintyre that whole travis tritt uh oh yeah joe diffie i mean i'll have to text you a picture i think i still got it with travis tritt i'll have to look nice <laughs> oh, yeah i love nice him. sky yeah i can't do Aww. country. i never could, I, never could. Uh, I tried can't uh, all right. If they were to make a movie about your life, who would you pick to star as you? I was going to ask that before you answer. And if you can't think of somebody, I know who it was. It was bugging me, but I remember. All right. I got it. Now pick. you know who it is. Well, I know who I'd pick to play you. Who, would, who you would you pick? pick? No, you go first. Ah, damn it. <laughs> um, maybe Sandra Bullock. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I was going to say Alanis Morissette. Oh, even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah, I was like, who does she remind me of? She looks Atlantis Morissette. That's who it is. I was okay. What was the gal that, oh, drawing a blank? Because I was saying it's someone else and then the name just escaped me. Oh, well, you fuck know, it. You know matter. who I used to get a lot when I was younger was that chick that uh, that walked like Egyptian. What was her name? Oh. Was it Bangles? Oh. Susan. Oh, Mike's too young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would my son? How old are you, Mike? Hey, it's not Susan I'm 33. Day. Okay, you're a baby. He just yeah. knows everything about like music and older bands and stuff like that. So that's why he. Oh my god. Yeah, because I'm. My husband older. is like this savant. We always talk about how you've been on radio for 38 million years, so that's why I'm just like, all right, because I like the bands that I like, and that's it. Like, well, who are your favorite Rose, bands? Guns, Guns and Roses, Roses, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, oh. Kiss. Okay. Um, Band Montrose, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's yeah, I, I could. I, yeah, I love all those too. 
Mm-hmm. He's very unopened to new music when I'm like, when we would travel on the road, hey, Mikey, check this out. I was like, can you put Red Hot Chili Peppers on again? I <laughs> love the Chili Peppers too. Oh, you know who I almost forgot is uh, Pink Floyd. That was always love my Pink jam. Floyd. Love Pink Still Floyd. Still love it. Yeah. Still absolutely. love Pink Floyd. We just love good music. That's all. Nothing wrong That's with all. that. It doesn't mean I don't yeah. like anything else. It just means I like the good stuff. That's what I like. <laughs> well, hey, your question. My question. Okay. If you can have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, uh, uh, maybe like the Rapunzel turned things into gold. <laughs> That'd be pretty dope. Time travel. Is that a superpower? Sure. Oh, yeah. Time travel would be cool. Yeah, dangerous, but cool. I already feel invisible because I'm over. I already feel invisible. I was going to, you know, how some people say, oh, I'd love to be invisible. I'm a middle-aged white woman. I'm fucking invisible already. <laughs> just shut up over there, Karen. Can I just tell you a funny story? Please. I was at the grocery store with my husband and we had this big cart full of food. And right on top was this little thing of blueberries, a carton of blueberries. This is very bad. Cause I, anyway, um, the went over a bump and the thing fell over and all the blueberries. And I was like, fuck this. I took the carton and the receipt and walked into the store and I had every intention of being like that thing wasn't sealed. I was going to go Karen on them. Um, And I walked up to the blueberries and I thought, I just going to walk up and I fucking stole the blueberries. I'm like, I am invisible. I can, I should start shoplifting. (laughs) Nobody's. Oh, yeah, nobody's, nobody's looking at me about white women walking into grocery stores you're fine yeah, nobody's gonna question me i'm i get followed by security everywhere i go because i got face tattoos. yes so yes for obvious, for obvious reasons i can't <laughs> probably could i no, i couldn't because i would feel like fucking horrible jason do you have throat tattoos no just a beard. i get i got sleeve and okay shoulder and back almost well there. almost it's sleeve. almost there i yeah. mean i have a giant ass tattoo i didn't get till i was like 40 something but nobody can see it i forget i have it sometimes that's rad that you got a back piece in the 40s though it's huge it's it's really big it goes from like the right hip it's uh the lotus blossoms there's four of us there's four of us in our family there's you know and then um and then and then it kind of wraps around my side all the way up to here and it has it says love and family and katana and it has like smoke it's super cool nice yeah i was like that is that is i do not want to miss this life experience without having at least one tattoo so i went big you went big and you went in a very sensitive place for your first tattoo good for you you know what's funny is a friend of mine tattooed my eyeliner on so that was technically my first tattoo but i don't really feel like that counts she did my eyes just got tired of it like Mm -hmm. fuck it i'm not putting it on (laughs) yeah and as a matter of fact it doesn't even help because well, this is for the girls. You put concealer on on your eyes first anyway. You have to put the eyeliner over it anyhow. So it was a waste of tattoo. <laughs> My mom gave me shit for getting a face tattoo. I'm like, mom, you tattooed your eyeliner or whatever. I'm like, you got your eyes tattooed. Okay, I didn't. You're <laughs> that's, more, that's kind of, you're yeah, more that's, hardcore than I am. I was going to say that's a very sensitive place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it me or you? Question. You. Oh, uh, shit. Um, oh, all right. If you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would it be? Oh, shit. Mm. This is going to make me cry. My mom had just died. Oh. (laughs) So it would be mom. Yeah. Sorry, this was supposed to be fun. Hug. No, (laughs) hug. 
Thanks. Oh, wow. I mean, so it just, it just happened in November and she was only sick for 22 days. I'm but, sorry. Um, thanks. But um, she was so proud of me because I was sober. I'm yeah. Sure. And she got to see that. She saw the best version of you. Yeah. For a long time. And when she died, I was the one who took care of her and I was able to give her her morphine and yeah. you know what I mean? It was like a, anyway, it would be mom. We'll make it fun again. Marry one, Sorry. fuck kill one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Ruined your game. <laughs> no, no. Worst guess ever. We're, uh, we're obviously very sorry to hear that, but Thank as you. cliche as this sounds, I'm Catholic. I don't know about you, but she's in a better place now. She's I know. no longer in pain. She's not suffering. She's looking right. down on you, smiling. Yes. She, you took care of her. She knows where your heart is. She felt the love from you. And she vice did. Versa, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And actually, now I'm kind of the dick because you did tell me that when we talked before the interview and I completely forgot. Who knew? Who knew I was going to go there with that? I should have said something like uh, Mother Teresa or <laughs> we've gotten very religious answers from yeah. that. That's for sure. No, well, people want to talk to Jesus. Lamar Odom did. Yeah. yeah. Lamar Odom. Who are you guys? How are you guys getting these guests? You need to hook me up. Lamar <laughs> <with your friends. laughs> Odoms, that, that's who he wanted yeah. to talk to. And we're just like, I, yeah, I would like to talk to Jesus as well. Yeah. A yeah, lot listen, of people don't think about that. Questions. Kind of yeah. What? A lot of people don't think about that kind of stuff when you like you have dinner with whoever. I'd say like, oh, Al Pacino, because I love Al Pacino or pretty much anybody who's in a Scorsese movie. Mm. But, oh, you did say alive. Yeah. Man, there's so many cool people. No, no, we said anyone dead or alive. Yeah, yeah. dead. You said dead or alive. Yeah, yeah. I went right for the <laughs> cry baby. <laughs> oh, that's okay. So many, so many amazing people. Oh, you know who I'd love to have dinner with is Oprah. That I mean, who wouldn't? I would too. Oprah's I would. Great. I would like to have dinner with Oprah. Yeah, people oftentimes see you know the the top of the uh, iceberg with her and not knowing what she came from. Oh yeah. What she made. I mean, I feel like she raised my generation. Oh yeah. I feel like she still is. She's raising this generation too. She's yeah. Just, Oprah's incredible. I watched Oprah. I remember coming home and watching Oprah be like, "Oh, that's fascinating." You know. Yeah. Oprah's great. Yeah, I was. I would like to have dinner with her too. Uh, any more random questions, Mikey? Let's go with the final thought. Okay. Yeah. Arlena, it's uh, the floor is yours. You got any final thought for people that are struggling with substance abuse? You know, mm-hmm. some mental health stuff. Obviously, you know, people that that reach out to you. It's not just uh, addiction recovery related stuff, but with self esteem and yeah, yeah. I do hypnotherapy and stuff. I feel like um, healing the mind and the heart and the spirit is really important. If you're, I mean, for anyone who is struggling, feel free to reach out to me. If you go to soberlifeschool.com, you can put time on my calendar. I will talk to literally anyone. And I, my, I'm in a good place in my life. I really just want to give back as much as I can. There is a solution. There are many solutions. If you're suffering, you just don't have to. And, um, you know, Brene Brown uh, said that empathy is the antidote to shame. So for any uh, self-love that's and self-esteem, that's kind of where it's at in my mind. So Absolutely. that's all. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you. You're absolutely awesome. And we appreciate you. Uncle Mikey, anything else? <laughs> no, I'm going home. On that note, keep <laughs> down. 
This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.